Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows, although emotionally delicate, teenagers are short on empathy. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the cat. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are very happy to be sipping on and featuring Blue Paul. From the good folks over at Sea Dog Brewing Company. This is a fruited wheat beer brewed in beautiful Portland, Maine. The wild blueberry is the official fruit of Maine and the official fruit of this beer as well. Maine produces 10% of all blueberries grown in North America. So get you some. This is ABV 4.7%, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And let's give some praise and thank you and some cheers to our friends that helped us fill up the old garage fridge this week first up a shout out to cassidy in vernon new jersey and a big we like to jib to jewels in springfield tennessee and last but certainly not least we have laurel from loganville georgia everyone we just mentioned they went to our website truecrimegarage.com clicked on the pint glass and that helped us out with this week's beer fund and for that we think yeah b-w-e-w-r-u-n beer run if you need more true crime garage for your earballs you can sign up for our bonus material at patreon or if you listen to podcasts on the apple podcast app then just hit subscribe and sit back and enjoy and let your earballs get rocked and colonel that's enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime
Just before 4 a.m., February 10th, 1999, Scarborough police receive a call from a motorist reporting a body lying in the center of Pine Point Road. Michael Lopes was a passenger in a car. He was catching a ride home to Old Orchard Beach from work. The night was pitch black. There were no other cars on the road. Michael saw no persons walking and nothing unusual during the drive. When suddenly, the driver was forced to swerve to avoid hitting something in the road. It appeared to be a body. When the car stopped, Michael got out and ran over to the body and knelt beside it. He first thought that someone had been hit by a car, but no, the body appeared to be placed there so very perfectly in the middle of the road. Michael grabbed the shoulder and slowly turned the body over, only to see the young, expressionless face of Ashley Olette. Her eyes were closed, a bluish hue on her cheeks. Her skin felt warm, but she had no pulse. This is True Crime Garage. Ashley Olette was born March 29, 1983 in beautiful Saco, Maine, which is in York County. Her parents are Robert and Lise, and together they ran a successful real estate agency. They have one other child, a daughter, Lindsay, who is just a couple of years younger than Ashley. Ashley's father, Robert, lived in Saco all of his life, his whole entire life. He was the president of his class for four years in high school. This is at Thornton Academy. He was a member of the city's historic commission, and his brother, Ashley's uncle, is a former Saco city councilor. Her mother was not from Saco. Lise moved to Old Orchard Beach at just four years of age. Her family moved from Quebec. Ashley's mother has seven siblings that she remains close with, so she's from a very big family. Lise considers herself to be a family-oriented homebody. Ashley is growing up in Saco, Maine in the 90s. This is a beautiful area. There you will find beaches, thick woodlands, and like one would expect on the coast, there are plenty of islands to visit. This is a beautiful New England town, 17 miles south of Portland, Maine. So it's about a 23-minute drive south of Portland. The Olet house was a modern, bright yellow cape cod in a wooded, better homes and gardens type neighborhood. The yard and landscaping was always top-notch, always meticulous. It was well known that Ashley's parents would do anything for their children. In fact, her friends used to tell Ashley, you've got it made. And Ashley would respond, I know. Some of her things that she loved, she loved Italian sandwiches. Who doesn't? She idolized Marilyn Monroe, Norma Jean Mortensen. And Ashley kept her Hollywood-style bedroom so tidy, she was known as Miss Neat to her family. She kept her shoes lined up in uniform rows in her closet. 
her clothing, shirts, shorts, pants, all piled up neatly in dresser drawers. She kept perfume bottles, makeup containers, nail polish and such all lined up and arranged very neatly and precisely on her bedside table. Ashley was fun and outgoing. She made friends very easily. Now, some described her as headstrong and at times even a little defiant. In elementary school, Ashley was a very good student. Her second grade teacher said Ashley was like a sponge because she just absorbed everything. But then came her time at Saco Middle School. Her mother says that Ashley was always an A student, this up until middle school. The middle school years became difficult for Ashley. And this was more, I think, captain of a social thing, not so much an intelligence thing. You know, we see this in a lot of kids' lives when they start to become very social, social butterflies, if you will. The social part of school becomes much more important than the academic part of school. Yeah, she was an attractive young lady, and I think she was getting attention from the seventh and eighth grade boys. And I think that led her to maybe take the social aspect of school a little more serious than the academic side. And who doesn't love a little bit of attention? And it seems like she really enjoyed the attention. Yeah, when I was in sixth grade, I got a lot of attention from the seventh and eighth grade boys as well. I was the guy that had to sit in the corner in every classroom. Mm -hmm. So the grades for Ashley, they start to drop a little once she hits sixth grade. And then they stay low and unimpressive in seventh grade as well. This is about the same time that she starts to disregard some of her parents and household rules. So she has a curfew of 9 p.m. when she's in seventh grade. She didn't just break that curfew once. She is disregarding this curfew regularly. In eighth grade, she started smoking cigarettes. She's drinking a little bit and staying out later and later. And it's well known that some nights she didn't even come home at all. Efforts to reason with her from her parents. You can picture how this is going to go. Mom and dad are going to try to enforce the household rules, try to straighten out daughter, this is going to turn into arguments and it's going to turn into parents butting heads with their young daughter. It seems captain like at this point, Ashley's a bit of out of control. It's also believed that she may have become sexually active around this time. Mm -hmm. Now I do want to clear something up because I didn't think that this was an accurate depiction of what was going on. Some reports state that she had run away several times or run away many times. I don't find that to be truthful at all. And frankly, I, I, I don't like the way that that's reported. What The way that I think it should be reported is how we just stated it. She's breaking curfew. Some nights she's not coming home at all. That's because she's out with friends and choosing not to come home. She's not running away from a bad household right. or from parents that she does not love. She's just breaking mom and dad's rules. In fact, we do know that Ashley was very close with her mother, even though they had some of these disagreements. Now, over the next two years of Ashley's life, her parents, they're going to struggle because they're trying to rein her in a little bit. She's got this wild spirit. She's a free spirit, but they also don't want to push her away. So they're kind of walking a tightrope. The other thing too, keep in mind Ashley has a younger sister, 
And you don't want older sister kind of paving the way of doing whatever the heck she wants for the younger sister, thinking that that is acceptable. Well, like I said, Ashley's hanging out with some individuals that are just a little bit older than her, but some, some teenagers get this mentality of like, I want to be an adult. I want to grow up faster than, than one should. And now looking back on things, it's like, you you know, it'd be nice to stay that age for a little bit longer. I agree with you. There's, there's times I wish I would have stayed 15 forever. Yeah. uh, No bills for a couple of, couple of uh, decades at least. So her parents decide that they're going to enroll her at this place called sweet sir children's services in Saco. This is for a week of inpatient counseling. And then in 1998, Ashley enrolled in Thornton Academy's alternative education program. So now she's attending the same school that her father once attended, but she's going to be taking this alternative education program, which is geared towards kids who are struggling in mainstream classes. Remember, she's struggling because of of not taking school seriously and being worried too much about being social and hanging out with friends. But between these two programs, it seems like mom and dad have done some good things here and did some things right because Ashley started to turn her life around a bit. This is from her dad. He says, after her sweet sir, things started to get better. She was really making an effort, and he says that he was proud of that. Ashley's grades were improving, and she was doing much better at home as well. And he says that she was even trying to quit smoking. Well, again... Teenagers go through phases and sometimes they realize, hey, this is not me breaking curfew, me running around with these knuckleheads and causing my family all this guff, right? It's not worth it. So maybe I should just get my act together. Her parents say that she was also seeming to develop better friendships and they thought that she was acting more maturely. The better friendships is a good thing too, because right when when the kid brings home some some knucklehead. boy or girl that that yeah knucklehead that is seems to be a shady character, you you wonder oh when my child leaves these four walls, does he or she behave like the person that they just brought home to to meet mom and dad? Yeah, I think Rocky said it, and Rocky won best. If you hang out with coconut friends. And you become a coconut. This is really impressive here at this young age. Ashley coached a classmate. Her name is Kimberly. Really helped her through a pregnancy and a childbirth. And she was also trying to help a friend who was battling bulimia. So two very serious situations. And I love seeing Ashley step up here, showing some maturity and also showing that she's got the backs of her friends that are going through some difficult times. Yeah. And I know it sounds cheesy, but service to others becomes a service to yourself. Now, as we all heard in today's trailer, unfortunately, this is a homicide case. In 1999, Ashley was just a sophomore at Thornton Academy at the time of her death. She would have graduated in 2001. Well, let's dive into the timeline of this case. So we're looking at Tuesday, February 9th. Again, this is 1999. We have Ashley. She's 15 at the time. She asked her mother if she can stay the night at a friend's house. 
it's a school night. Normally, this won't fly in most households, but mom says, you know what? She was going to make an exception here. Well, the friend only lived like a mile away. Yeah. So her mother, Lee, says, yes, that's our rule as well. In our house, you don't stay the night or have friends over to stay the night on school nights. But she was involved in these two programs. Her grades were coming up. She was acting more maturely. I think mom thought that this might be a little bit of a reward or a little pat on the back to say, hey, we see you're making an effort. We know that you are concerned about being social and you want to hang out with your friends. How about you go and have a little evening at your friend's house? Mom thought all would be fine. She was expected, Ashley was expected to go to school with her friend that she was staying the night at her house with the following morning. Mm -hmm. This friend, her name is all page. Now mom says later, she's going to tell the papers quote. I almost said no, because the rule is you don't go out on a school night, but She said to me, Ashley, mom, I've been doing so well. So I said, okay, now here's where things start to get tricky, right? So mom takes Ashley. Remember, she's only 15, so she's not able to drive herself at this time. Mm -hmm. Mom takes her to her friend's house and later would say, when we got there, the two cars that she saw parked in the driveway were the cars that she knew belong to all eyes parents. These are her parents' cars, her friend's parents' cars. So mom says, I drop her off and I'm thinking driving away, it's all good. The kid's parents are there. Mm -hmm. As the captain said, all I page lived at 57 James street. This is near downtown Saco. This is only about a mile from Ashley's home, which is located on thunder road. Well, and she was also a good friend and she was a good person. So it's like, okay, you you know, it's not like you're having your daughter spend the night on a school night with some scumbum, right? This is a good friend, good person, good influence. They've been good friends for a long period of time. What we're going to find out later, sadly, is that Ali Page's parents were not home that night. This was a ruse. Little Miss Page was going to be having a little party at her house that night in her parents' absence. So let's go to 10 p.m. that night. Now, one thing that we know happened for certain, Ashley calls her parents. And she's calling to check in because she wants to know, had anybody called for her at her home that evening? Her mother said that the girls were painting their nails. That's what they told them. Ashley said that she... uh, you know, normal, I love you's go back and forth. I love you, mom. And mom says, I love you too, sweetheart. And unfortunately, those will be the last words that the two will exchange. A little deeper into that timeline here, Captain, let's go to the Press Herald. So after Ashley talks to her mom, we have some young boys that are going to be coming over to for this party. And soon after, we have a guy named Edwin Hernandez. He's age 19 at this time. So unfortunately, we have some young teenage girls and there might be some teenage boys there, but we know of at least one adult male Mm -hmm. at this party at this time. Now, Edwin is asked by Ashley 
if he would give her a ride to another location. She tells, this is according to Edwin and according to some of the people that were at the party that night. Ashley tells Edwin that she needed to get to her aunt's house because she was going to be babysitting her nieces or nephews in the morning. This guy agrees to give her a ride. Now, Ashley, what we would learn is really having him drive her to Stephen Sanborn's house. So this is seven miles away from the party house at 50 Mast Hill Road. This is a double wide set far back in the woods down a long dirt road. We have some better insight as to Ashley's intentions. This from her good friend, All I Page, who says that before Ashley left, she says to her friend, I want to go see Steve. When I get a buzz, I get a crush on Steve. A little bit of a background, Steve and Ashley have known each other for a couple of years by this point. Mm -hmm. Ashley gets to Steve's house. Now, keep in mind, as far as we know and everything we're being told by all accounts, Edwin Hernandez does not know that he is taking Ashley to another boy's house. He is under the ruse that I'm driving her to a relative's house. Ashley gets to Stephen's house and knocks on the door, and there's no answer. So Edwin then drives her five miles back into town, this to use a payphone. Remember those things? There used to be a bunch of them. Now, good yeah, luck Superman. finding one. Yeah, Superman used to change his outfits in those. So they're at a payphone at a gas station. This is on Flag Pond Road and Route 1. And this is at approximately 10.45 p.m. And I'm betting you, Captain, that the police have record of this as they should, this being a call that was paid for. Ashley calls the Sanborn house, and there's a guy named Christopher Cody who's living there. He's 18. I believe he's 18 at the time. He's staying at the Sanborn house. I don't know the particulars of why he is staying there, but it's reported that he is the one that answers this call. It's reported that he tries to wake up Steve, but Steve is sleeping and says he doesn't want to talk to Ashley. So no answer at the door, not receptive to her call, according to the people that are available today to tell us what happened that night. But as the report goes around midnight, Edwin drops Ashley back off at the Sanborn house. And then he, after seeing her gain access to the house, will then leave. And it's reported that he goes back to the party that he and Ashley had left earlier. The report here is a little bit odd. Ashley knocks on the rear door to the basement of the Sanborn house. This is where there's two Sanborn boys, right? We have Daniel Sanborn, who is 16, and we have Stephen Sanborn, who is, I'm a little confused here because some reports state that he's 18, and I've seen a couple reports that say he was 19 at the time. So somewhere in that age, age range. She's knocking on the rear door to this home. This, this door leads to the basement, and it's my understanding, Captain, that both the Sanborn brothers each had a bedroom located in that basement. All right, so now we're at about 1230. 
Daniel Sanborn, 16, brother of Stephen, wakes up with the knocking. This is according to his statements. He said that Ashley entered the home on her own and met he met her in the hallway. Now, I, there are plenty of reports that are backed up with multiple accounts that Daniel was at the same party that Ashley had came from and that he was there from approximately 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. So maybe he was sleeping, maybe he wasn't. I think that there's a lot of questionable details within the statements. Yeah, and it seems like he had a relationship with Ashley, like an on-again, off-again relationship. Steve, from my understanding, Steve did. What makes it difficult here, Captain, is we got two Sanborn brothers. The way I understand it is that Daniel, the younger brother, may have had a a crush on Ashley. Ashley not so interested in Daniel because she had had a previous relationship with Steve, the older brother. And as we were just told, she had said to her good friend that she still had a crush on older brother Steve. But she would know Daniel because he would be a classmate of hers right. at that Thornton Academy. We also already covered that the a friend of the Sanborns, Christopher Cody, was living at that home, at the Sanborn home, also at this time. So that's another variable that we have to throw in there. So the reports are that Ashley arrives at the home around 12 to 12.30 a.m., we have parents Muriel and Earl Sanborn, or they are home at the time. Ashley asked the mother if she could stay the night. According to the Sanborn mom, she says that Ashley told her she needed a place to stay because she had gotten into an argument with her parents that evening and they kicked her out of the house. Right. We have lies upon lies upon lies. And some of them coming from our victim. Right. Mrs. Sanborn says, you know what? I'll help you out. You're allowed to stay the night, but you're going to have to sleep on the couch in the basement. Now, again, mind you, her son's bedrooms are also downstairs in this basement area. At 12.45 a.m., Marielle says she saw Daniel, her son, getting an orange soda from the upstairs fridge. When asked what he's doing, he says he's getting a drink for Ashley. And she sees her son take the soda downstairs to Ashley. The report here is that Ashley says that it is too hot for her to sleep in the basement and that she decides to go upstairs to sleep on the couch that is located in the living room. And according to Daniel Sanborn, he says that this is the last time so we're at 12.45 a.m. approximately. He says that this is the last time that he ever sees Ashley Olette. Yeah, basically everybody's story at the Sandberg house is that she left. She eventually just decided to leave on her own accord. Yeah, she went to go sleep on the couch. Everybody went to bed. We wake up and she's gone. She must have got up and decided that she was going to leave at some point that night. The evidence keeps pouring in. 
At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, 
and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back onwards and upwards. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to everybody out there that is going to be attending CrimeCon this year. We got CrimeCon in Nashville, and we also got CrimeCon UK going on over in London. If you have not already purchased your tickets for these events and would like to attend and save a little bit of cash, uh, use our promo code TCG will save you 10% on your ticket. We hope to see every one of you there. Mm-hmm. All right, captain. We talked about the evening, the movements of our young lady here that, that night. And look, she's, she's twisting things a little bit herself to maybe get what she wants, uh, or to do whatever she wants that night to go where she wants that night. Yeah. I also things a lot. Yeah. And I'm also not going to pretend that we're getting the full story and every truthful detail from all parties involved. Absolutely not. And I say that with not just the people at the Sandburn home, but also the teenagers and young adults that are attending this party on a Tuesday night, on a school night. Maybe not everybody knows what's going on. Maybe people have reasons for not telling the truth. We'll let the listeners decide for themselves. What we have here is now we have the Sanborn parents. They say that they got up that morning at 6.45 a.m. And when they woke up that morning, Ashley, who they told could sleep on the couch, not there at their house. I don't want to point a lot of fingers here, but I think there needs to be some finger pointing here. I think that unfortunately that there is something that everybody, multiple people, you will see throughout this true crime story. I think that there are things that a lot of people wish that they would have done differently. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we have Ashley's mom that has come out. She said, look, I wish I never would have let her go. It was a school night. Then you have Ashley's friend that says, Hey, I wish I would have never let her leave the party. Then you have the mother saying, well, once Ashley got to our house and is saying that, Hey, I had this argument with my, uh, my mother and my parents and, and I just need a place to stay. She probably wishes that she would have just said, Hey, you know what? You can't stay here and I'm going to drive you back to your parents' house. Look, I'm not trying to be bad cop to the kids out there. I'm not trying to, to, to play detective every day of my life, but I, I'm just one of those people that I, I want a little more information. Right. When a kid tells me something, I don't just always believe that it's true. And again, I'm not 
trying to fault anybody here, but I, I know in my heart that Ashley's mom wishes she could go back in time and just get out of the car, knock on the door and say, Hey kid, it's nice that you're having my daughter stay the night tonight. Would you mind if I spoke with your mom or dad real quick? Right. I know that I hope that the Sanborn mom, I, I really wish that she would have picked up the phone and just said, you know what? If you want to, if you want to stay here, I don't want to kick you. I'm not trying to kick you out, mm-hmm. but can we just, ha- can I just have a quick phone call with your mom or dad to confirm that, you know, that you need a place to stay tonight? And maybe, maybe I guess in her defense that she thought that the kid would run off if, if she tried to pull that move, but I still think that that's probably the right move. I don't know. It's, it's, these stories are always difficult to tell. And when you're researching it and you're, and you're going through the information, there's always these parts that I know that everybody wishes that they could change. Couldn't stop myself from voicing that here, not trying to blame anybody, but we all have regrets. I know that I have regrets. There's always things that we know that we could have done differently and probably better. We have these time points, the, these events that take place in a very short timeline. The next point in our timeline is at 3.57 a.m. on February 10th. Remember, the party was at her friend's house the night before, February 9th. This is when Mike Lopes, he's driving home. And there's a little more detail in this that, that I think is necessary. He is actually requested a ride. He was having some vehicle trouble. So he's leaving work and he's he's going home and he's now in the car with his mom and they are driving and they're out in the middle of this dark desolate stretch of road. This is Pine Point Road in Scarborough, Maine. Yeah, and if you saw a picture of this in the daytime, there's nothing to the left and nothing to the right. It's just nothing. Just a road and nothing. I was lucky enough to go to Maine and I'll tell you that's that's part of the beauty of the state that there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of stuff, right? Not a whole lot of man-made stuff that's cluttering up the area. This spot would be roughly 10 miles from the Sanborn residence. And Mike Lopes would say that when they're driving, they come across what they think appears to be a body that's lying in the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. We would later learn that this is Ashley. This turns out to be Ashley. Mike says that in the beam of the headlights, it looked to him like whoever it was, and, and, and he, he actually says that he couldn't tell if it was male or female, just that it was a, a person. He thought that the person looked to have been placed there and that she was lying face down on the center line of the road. Now, he actually approaches the body, tries to turn her over, and he says that she was blue. There was a little bit of blood around her mouth. It's February and it's in Maine, so it's pretty cold, but her body is still warm to the touch. You're exactly right. So it was 36 degrees would be the high for that day. Well, let me be clear. The average high for February in Maine is 36 degrees. The low, the average low would be 16 degrees Mm -hmm. in February. So it's probably somewhere in that range. He says that that when they approached the body, that again, that she was lying there almost like she was placed there neatly. Her arms are at her sides. Her legs are straight. Toes are pointed down. And as the captain said, her body was still warm 
even in the cold February night. Yeah, and look, when you're driving on these, I guess you could call them a rural road, but you got to be careful of deer or other animals that might jump into your pathway. And then you see this object. From everything I read, it seems like they had to you know, swerve and and make sure that they didn't hit it. Mm -hmm. He gets out of the car, realizes it's a person, turns her body over, you know, she's warm to the touch, tries to do CPR. And then you go, well, why would this person be in the middle of the road? Did they get hit by a car? Mm -hmm. Well, you wouldn't have your arms placed to your side. You, your legs wouldn't be straight. There was no evidence that she was hit by a car. So then it's like, who placed her here and why? Yeah, you're exactly right, Captain. The body showed no signs of vehicular trauma like you would expect to see if, if she had been hit walking across the street or having been standing in the road for any number of reasons. And it was clear that, pardon the term, that she was dumped there and the so police are going to come out rather quickly she's fully clothed right no signs of vehicular trauma and police come out pretty quickly and they say look this is what we're dealing with here between sometime between 12 30 a.m and 4 a.m roughly on february 10th we believe the cause of death was homicide by strangulation so they're saying we believe between this time frame 1230 and 4 a.m., someone wrapped their hands around Ashley's throat and strangled her to death and then placed the body where it's later located. Some articles say that they think that she was laid in the middle of the road, hoping that she would get run over by a car. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, we've covered boys on the tracks, boys in the road. The boys on the tracks case, that's exactly what the, the murderers wanted to happen, that the bodies would be destroyed by the train passing over them. And in this case, we get really lucky here as far as investigators go and, and the public in general had, had a car run or, or a large vehicle run over her that night after she was placed there. This thing may have been ruled an accident We could have a whole different set of circumstances here, right? Unfortunately, we have a homicide that we have to deal with, but at least in this case, we know that it's a homicide. We know the cause of death. And we also know, based off of many people's accounts, the timeline of that night. Well, and like I said, if you saw a picture of this area, there's nothing to the left or to the right of the roadway. Makes me wonder if these individuals knew this area took her to maybe dispose of the body in some other manner and either got nervous or just decided to change plans and then say, well, let's just dump her in the middle of the road. The interesting thing here too, as far as the investigation goes, is that other than a very short period of time, there's not a whole lot of question as to Ashley's whereabouts because we have a whole bunch of people all who state and agree that at 12 midnight to 12:45 a.m. Ashley was on two different couches at the Sanborn home mm-hmm. which is like we said about 10 miles away from where she is located. So with such a short time frame here, 
I mean, at 12.45, she's on the couch in the living room, and then at 3.57, she's found in the middle of the road. Body still warm to the touch, and I actually believe, I, I can't speak to the traffic for that particular night during that particular window of time, but I kind of believe, Captain, that she was probably placed there closer to the time that she was found, having, as you said, the way it was described is that they had to swerve to avoid hitting whatever that was in the road. Had she been there for a a longer period of time, I believe that somebody may not have been able to swerve and avoid not hitting whatever that was in the road. So based off of all of the statements, when talking with mom, when talking with her friend, locating a person that drove her out to the Sandburn home, for investigators, it's time to go get some search warrants and go talk to some teenage boys. They're able to secure a search warrant for 50 Mast Hill Road. This is the Sandburn home. At the home, we don't know everything that they found or exactly what they were looking for and may not have found, but it has been reported some of the items that they did find that seemed to be items of interest. One was a trail of blood droplets in the kitchen area that was leading to the living room. It's also stated that they seized evidence of sexual activity. We don't know exactly what that means. They seized these items or item. We do know that they also collected a condom. Boys in blue, the ladies in boys in blue took a carpet and upholstery samples as well and a purple cord and a bedspread. They also collected jewelry, a pillow with a stain on it. And this is... This is really good, thorough work right here. They also took tissue, hair, and fingernail samples and clothing from a one Daniel Sanborn. Now, he's the 16-year-old boy of the house. They got a warrant for Daniel's car as well. At the time, he was driving an Eagle Summit. Remember those old Eagle brand cars that once existed? Mm -hmm. Inside or on the body of the vehicle, they find dry brown grass. Now, what's interesting here to investigators is they will say that that dry brown grass is very similar, if not the same, as to dry brown grass that was found on Ashley's body. They also recovered a gold ring, a black blouse, fingernail particles, a scarf, and hair, and this is all according to police documents. What we would end up with, Captain, is Sergeant Matthew Stewart, who would tell the press, I'm not going to discuss what the test on any of this evidence revealed to law enforcement, and he also would not describe anyone in the Sanburn home that night as a suspect. But what he did say is it, quote, we are unable to place Ashley alive outside the Sanborn residence. Mm-hmm. That's right. By several accounts, Ashley was alive and well in the Sanborn home house, then found dead outside 10 miles away less than four hours later. We do know that police questioned both Danny and Stephen, and we do know that Danny, according to police, changed his story a few times. He first tells police that the following morning he woke up, Ashley wasn't there, and he attended school as normal. And then police come back and say, not so fast, Danny boy. 
Attendance records show that you were not at school that following morning. He changes the story to say that, well, I woke up late, missed school, called off work. He had a, he had a job. He called off work and ended up spending the afternoon with friends at Old Orchard Beach. Stephen gives police a little bit of insight into his background with the victim, Ashley. He does say, he says, look, we had a brief relationship. This would have been in 1996 or 1997. He did say that they had intercourse on numerous occasions. He told police that he figured Ashley was in Dan's bedroom with Dan that night, as far as he knew. So the way that I understand this to be is that we're we're looking at all the people in the Sandburn home, obviously, as potential suspects. Nobody seems to be pointing the finger at the other. It sounds like Dan may have had a crush on Ashley. Ashley still wanted some type of relationship with Steve. Steve had moved on. He has his own girlfriend at this time. And then we have the other variable of the other guy that's staying and living at the Sandburn home at the time. This is really frustrating to me, Captain, that we don't have anybody pointing the finger at one another, because I think that that's what police thought was going to happen early in this case. They have some evidence. They have some evidence that's leading them back to the Sandburn home. You want to figure out who is the last person that could have possibly seen or been with your victim. That is probably your killer. That is probably the person that placed her in the road. And then what you do have here is, as a detective, go back to the statement of the individual that found the body and what you are seeing at the body recovery site. Mm-hmm. It's looking to you and it's looking to even the, the lay person, the average citizen who spotted her in the road, all saying the same thing. It looks like she was laid neatly there in the road. That little detail, that's a two, that's a two person job. She wasn't dumped there. She wasn't dragged there. I hope uh, one thing that I've, I've found, especially in these cases from the mid to late nineties, there seems to be a little bit of a, and, and I can't speak for certain as to this particular case, but the lack of understanding how powerful shoe prints are, evidence, shoe print evidence can be in a case, as well as drag mark or tire mark evidence in a case it seems to be that we we got away from that that was a big deal in in the 70s in a lot of cases that you would see in the 70s and even in the 80s and and i don't know why it's not even discussed in a lot of these cases from the 90s it seems like something that was just missing but so what we don't have here is a clear understanding based off of police information did they see drag marks at the scene because if you do have drag marks then then one person could have placed her there do you have any indication on her shoes or clothing that she was dragged to where the body was found? Do you have any trauma on the body that would indicate that she was just rolled off the side of a vehicle and dropped where she's found? If you don't have any of that, then you have a situation where two people, likely two people picked her up. I understand there's some very strong people out there, but usually the way that this goes, Captain, is two people picked her up 
placed her where she was found. And therefore you either have one or two killers, but at the very least you have two people that know why and where she was placed that night. Well, it's unclear to me, (laughs) you know, when you're looking into this case, if you're law enforcement, who are all the players that are involved? Okay. I can eliminate Ashley's family because she was not there. I can now start eliminating some of the people that were still at the party, the original party that she was at, at her friend's house. And I think party is a loose term. I think it was more of a small gathering. My parents are gone. Let's have a a handful of people over and let's have some boys over. It'll be crazy. And then your friend, Ashley, she leaves. Now she goes to another house. Now she's a, here's what's even stranger. The, we don't think something negative happened at the party where there was no parents. We think something possibly happened at the house where two parents were there. Mother and father are there saying, Hey, she could stay here. And we, we offered our couch and she must've got up and left on her own. But who are all the players at Sanborn's house? We know the mom's there. We know the father's there. We know the brother, the two brothers are there, but who else is there? Exactly. And here's the thing too, because you're spot on there, Captain, because there's rumor of somebody else, maybe one or two other people having potentially been there that night at some point that night. I actually do not see this situation as Mama Sanborn covering for one son or two sons or son and friend or friend of sons. I don't see that situation. I look at this and I think that maybe I don't, I'm not going to pretend that most people in that house that night haven't come to some conclusion as to what took place that night. I'm not going to say that they're completely in the dark, but what I feel like happened here is where she's located to me shows, uh, impulsiveness and desperation on the, on the behalf of the whoever placed her there. Yeah. See, that was my question for you. It's because if she gets hit by a car or hit by multiple vehicles that could cover up and make it harder to figure out what happened to her. So to me that shows some level of sophistication, but in the middle of the road, again, like I said, there's nothing to the left. There's nothing to the right. You have a lot of wooded area in Maine. There's a lot of places to bury bodies, to hide bodies. So I don't know if this shows a level of sophistication or does it show, like you said, a level of panic. And I I, I think our information is different because you have a different name of who drove her to the Sanborns house. Than I have. I'm I'm so glad that you said that because there are different reports out there now. the The one that I cited was from that Press Herald report that gave a nice timeline of that evening, pretty detailed. Which I was surprised that it supplied actual names, and mm-hmm. especially considering one of them to be underage, the girlfriend that she was going to air quote stay the night at her house. I value the information in that timeline, but you're exactly right. There are other reports out there that says a completely other individual, not this Edwin Hernandez was responsible for giving a ride to 
her that night. And and we did talk about the movements, right? There's it seems like there was a little extra movement going on before she gains access to the Sandburn home. So maybe the truth is that more than one person gave her a ride or was involved in, or in the vehicle at least in giving her the yeah, ride. Yeah, cuz the name I have is Jay Carney. And so Wait. you have Jay Jay Carney if he gives Ashley a ride is is Jay still at the Sanborn's house? It's it's not clear to me. I'm not saying that the Sanborn's the parents are are covering for their kids or anything like that. I don't think they know what happened, but it's like I also don't think they're uh maybe they didn't know what else was happening that night inside their house. I'm with you on that, Captain. And that's why I think that we are seeing a level of panic when trying to conceal this body or conceal the crimes that were committed, right? Let's place her in the middle of the road. Maybe she gets hit. Maybe she gets run over by a car and it looks like something else. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why you have to get her out of the house is that, well, mom and dad are going to wake up and they're going to go, oh, hey, where was that girl from last night that had to run away from home? Oh, so you have a limited, if you... If they are unaware, if, if other people inside that home that night are unaware of what took place and they're not going to be covering for you, now you have a limited amount of time that you have this big problem that you have to get out of the house or conceal in a way that nobody's going to find her in the house and then move her later. But we know she wasn't moved later because she was found at 3.57 a.m. So you have this problem of, I got to get her out of here. And I have a limited amount of time before I have to get back to the house to make it look like I slept through the night and I'm clueless as to what happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that we see the panic here. The other thing that's really dumb for the persons, and this is why I think that we're seeing whoever, whoever chose to dispose of her in this manner is doing it at a desperation, but it's impulsiveness too, which typically will lean toward a, younger criminal and those tendencies always lean toward a younger criminal is that once that heart stops beating that body's going to behave a lot differently if she's struck by a car than when the heart is still beating now you can hope for a bad investigation or incompetency and then maybe it's ruled a vehicular accident you you could get lucky but that's not unheard of but again, that body will behave differently. I part of me wonders if their thought was, well, we'll we will strike her with the car, and then at the last second, they grew a little bit of a brain and figured out, well, now our car is going to show damage or show some sign that we hit somebody, and that's going to lead directly back to us. Let's place her here, and maybe we get lucky, and somebody else is the one that that is driving the vehicle. Yeah, and even though it's very early morning hours, there's a possibility that they got disrupted by somebody else. They saw in the distance some car headlights and, and got spooked and decided to abandon whatever plan that they came up with. Again, I, I go back to if, you know, it's very important to figure out who drove her to the Sanborn's house, but also who stayed there, because obviously if this Jay Carney gave her a ride there and he stayed there while well, he'd have a vehicle. But the evidence kind of points to, like you said, the Sanborn son's vehicle. 
has more evidence that her body was probably moved with that vehicle. And over the years, Captain, this has been a very difficult case. And I think in large part, it's difficult for the Olette family because they strongly believe that they know who is responsible or has who holds guilt in this case. And we see a lot of evidence of that. We, we should mention that there's been a lot of effort in this case. As many as 30 detectives over the years have worked the case. There are currently two full-time detectives, a forensic chemist and a family advocate. And of course the attorney general prosecutor who continued to keep this case in the media, as well as Ashley's mother. And they still want to solve this thing. Unfortunately, we're coming up close to 25 years since this murder. We do know that, unfortunately, Ashley's father would pass away not terribly long after this. This would have been in May of 2001. He had a heart attack in his sleep. He was just 49 years old. His daughter's death and murder, Mm -hmm. I believe, 100% contributed to his health problem, you know, uh, this heart attack, the sudden heart attack that took place in, in May of 2001. What we're going to see here is the events, some terrible events that took place in a short window of time, one night, one dark night in, in Maine that will affect so many lives and tear up so many lives over the years. We do know that her mother, Ashley's mother, firmly believes that Daniel is guilty. She is being patient because she understands that there is a big gap between probable cause and beyond a reasonable doubt. It seems like there needs to be some more evidence here before charges will be solid and be brought in this case. But we do know that the Olette family took the Sanborn family to court. They filed a wrongful death suit against the Sanborns. They claimed that they had a reasonable responsibility to protect Ashley from injury while she was in their home. They feel that Daniel injured Ashley in a way that ultimately caused her death. Now Sanborn's claim is that because Ashley said that she was kicked out of her home and needed a place to stay that they they were just trying to offer her help and they're not responsible for Ashley and what may have happened. And again, they're standing by, well, we went to bed, everything was fine. We wake up and she was gone. You fast forward all these years later. And what we learn is that Daniel Sanborn, the brother, Steven, they've both had a lot of problems with, with the law over the years. In one situation, Mm -hmm. one of the brothers' situations has been some violent activity, and the other brother's situation has been drugs, theft, and weapons charges. So these guys have turned out to be pretty bad guys, and a lot of it has to do with drugs and drug trafficking. A lot of times, drug trafficking is just to pay for one's own drug habit and ways to get the drugs themselves. And I, I just wonder if these two are riddled with the truth and that they they've been medicating themselves over the years to deal with with the truth of something that they know that they were involved in taking the life of a of a young girl well i think we should talk about 
Tony Torres. Yes, Angel Tony Torres. And he enters the story in a in a strange twist. But this would just be a couple of months after Ashley's murder. And we're going to see a common denominator here. You already mentioned Jason Carney, better known as Jay Carney. He's going to be a, a weird common denominator here in between these two stories and between these two victims. Because as the captain stated, some of the reports say that it was Jay Carney that gave the ride to Ashley that night or may have been at the Sandburn home that night that Ashley was killed. The way that Angel Tony Torres works into this case, his parents, they meet their, their natives from Puerto Rico. They meet and fall in love in New York City. They have two young children. They decide, you know what? Let's take our kids out of the city. Let's move out to Maine. So they move out to Maine where they're able to get a home that's three times the size of their New York apartment. Plus it's got a yard, right? You got kids. You want to have a yard for your family. So now they have a yard. This is in 1985 when they move out. This is about a five and a half hour drive out to Denmark, Maine to start their new life with their family. A few years after the move, they have another son. Angel would choose to go by the name of Tony. I think he thought it was more, maybe a little more masculine name. Uh, he was a very popular kid growing up. He was described by friends as social, smart, with a very upbeat personality. He was active at school. He was great at basketball and soccer, and he loved music, and he loved partying with his friends. Denmark, Maine, population of about 1,100 people. This is about an hour drive northwest on country roads from the nearest major city, which is Portland, Maine. Now, remember, we talked about the proximity of Ashley, Ashley's family's home in regard to Portland, Maine. So the two live about, what, about an hour and a half away from one another. So let's fast forward to March of 1999. This is Tony's junior year. He's attending Framingham. This is also just a short time after Ashley was killed, and still, it's still an unsolved murder. And the still unsolved murder of Ashley was the talk of the town in Saco, Maine. Tony's home for spring break in 1999. He's visiting, staying with his parents. Now, on one of these days, he's watching the evening news, and they're running a story about the Ashley Olette murder. Tony and his dad are watching. This is when Tony perks up and he says to his dad, I know who killed her. He's saying that he knew Ashley a little bit. He knew her from some parties that he says they both had attended. Tony's dad says something to the effect of his son, like, look, you, you either need to take this information to the police or you need to zip it. Keep your mouth shut. You better be very careful about who you share this information with. Right. Which, you know, Tony's father would agree that that's awful advice. He should have right then and there said, if you have information in this murder, investigation we need to go to police right now because not because you're also in danger yourself. you're exactly right captain this is another spot in our story here where we see a situation where i know somebody says to themselves today i wish i could have handled that just a little bit differently yeah and he's, he also claims that his son said this in a way that there was no doubt that it wasn't like his son said this and he looked at his son and didn't believe him or thought his son was bullshitting. He believed every word 
why he didn't dig deeper and ask for information, why he didn't make him go to the police, don't know. But later on, what's going to happen is he goes out to a party or or he's partying at his ex-girlfriend's house and they uh, end up leaving to go to a corner store Mm -hmm. and he leaves with Jay Carney. So then Jay Carney comes back to the party. People go, well, where's Tony at? And he says, well, he got picked up by a, a pickup truck at the corner store. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah, where so he's going. Jason J. Carney. Going on. This is on Wednesday the 19th. This is May of 1999. So now we are, what, three months after the murder of Ashley. And we know mm-hmm. that we know from several people's accounts that Tony stayed at, at Jay Carney's house on that Wednesday the 19th and Thursday the 20th. So they spent a couple of days together. Now it was on May 21st where they are at this house party together. And as the captain said, it's, it's a a place uh, where his ex Tony's ex-girlfriend was staying. It's around 2 AM that they leave. What did they say? Captain, they were going out to pick up cigarettes or maybe beer and cigarettes or something. Yeah. It's just going to a corner store. And so Jay returns to the house party without Tony. There's, a couple people there that say, look, when Jay returns, he's a mess. He's nervous. He's acting weird. He's frantic. His pants yeah. are rolled up and dripping with mud. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not until three days later that Tony is reported missing. He's reported missing. His parents file a missing persons report with the police. This is after Tony's girlfriend calls them and says, hey, where's Tony? I'm looking for him. His work called and said he didn't show up for work and that's not like him at all. Right. So now we have a missing persons report and then we have a bunch of people saying that this Jay Carney is the last person to have been with him. And then when, when other people see Jay, what, 30 minutes or a short period of time after the two leave and Jay returns without Tony, that this guy's a mess. He's, he's, emotionally physically a mess and and his clothing is a mess as well but the story also just doesn't make any sense we went to the corner store together if i went to the corner store with my buddy and he got picked up and i I come back alone there's more to the story there yeah well who did he get picked up by okay if i know that information maybe the story starts making some sense but he's going well, I don't know. He just got he got picked up by this pickup truck, this red pickup truck, and uh, and and that's it. That's all I know. He would claim that the two, whatever reason they told the people at the party that they were leaving, that they they were actually going out to meet some people that they had did a, a pretty small time drug deal with earlier that day. And I don't know if he's insinuating that the 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 driver or the or the passengers of this red pickup truck that he says Tony left in, mm-hmm. if if they were one and the same, the people that they had sold some marijuana to or whatever it was earlier that day. I don't know if if, if I, I having a hard time here with this part of the story, but that's what he would ultimately tell police for my understanding. And we've seen this time and time again. I this is this is what really makes my ears perk up when somebody tells one story and then the next day they tell you a little bit of a different story to law enforcement and now they're admitting to some pretty small time crimes right 
you know how the guilty parties are. It's like, ah, I'll, I'll just give them a little bit and, and they'll see that I'm being truthful this time because I'm admitting to something that I did that's breaking the law and they'll, they, they won't push me any further. And Jay Carney is the common denominator. He's somebody that is also listed in some of those reports regarding Ashley's case and also listed as being the last person agreed upon with Angel Tony Torres the night that he goes missing. And this is not a situation where anybody's sitting here going, well, maybe Tony just took off on his own and started a new wonderful life somewhere. No, this is a situation where law enforcement are saying we have every reason to believe that Tony was met with foul play. His family saying, we're not expecting to find him live and well. We're just hoping to get some information so we can return him and bring him home for a proper burial. Well, and here's what's crazy, though. You got the the brother Sanborns. They become a mess of individuals themselves. Yes. With law and with drugs. And like you said, maybe self-medicating because they know what happened to Ashley that night. They're friends with Jay Carney. He's friends with Tony Torres. Tony Torres probably knew the Sanborn brothers as well. And then Tony just happens to tell his father, hey, I I know what happened to that Ashley girl. And then he's hanging out with Jay Carney goes missing. Jay Carney's story doesn't make any sense. No. The Sanborn brothers and Jay Carney's story don't make any sense when it goes when it comes to Ashley and look, love to question Jay Carney more about this, but he dies of a drug overdose. Yeah. You're going to have to get a shovel to go talk to Jay Carney. And and again, was that self-medication? Yep. He was all the way out in Rhode Island in 2015 and he passes away, dies of a drug overdose at the age of 36. So Whatever information he has, he's taken that with him, and he will remain silent forever. Now, of course, we don't have to dance around this any more. The obvious thing here is that the the major theory, the the prevailing theory here, is that Jay killed Tony because he knew what happened to Ashley. And what what I find interesting about this here, Captain, is that. If Jay was involved in Ashley's case, and and you would have to think that he was directly involved to the point that that he had direct involvement of a threat of going to prison himself, not for a little bit of time, for a very long time to take the life of another person. It seems so simple. With the first one, he didn't know what he was doing. How do I, how do I cover this up? How do I hide this? I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. Maybe we place her in the road and somebody runs her over and that we wipe our hands of it. Problem gone. I can breathe a little easier now, but that didn't happen. She was found. They figure out very easily how she was killed. They figure out very easily where she was that night and people to talk to and start collecting evidence. Did old Jay learn from that? And that's why with the next one, we don't find the body because he learned of all the problems that created for him or his friends or other people involved the first go around. And I want to bring up something that you brought up in Ashley's case. Is it two individuals involved? 
And this is why it would make more sense because if there's two individuals involved and then Tony Torres is maybe he maybe he's telling Jay, hey, I know what happened or I told my dad that I knew what happened. For some reason, we have to get rid of Tony. He is he is gone a short period of time. So that's a very short period of time that Jay has to kill Tony and then get rid of the body. But it's a lot easier to do if you have two people involved. Yep. And Tony was a, a strong kid, an athletic kid. So it's more likely that whoever's involved with Ashley's case, if there's more than one and most likely more than one, then there's more than one involved in Tony's disappearance as well. Yeah. And this is a situation where you got to believe if Tony knew what happened and, and it w- it's interesting to kind of ponder the, the varying degrees of knowledge that he could have had of what happened, right? It, is it something he heard from somebody else? Who did he hear it from? What did they tell him? So on and so forth. But, but it's you one know these- how we, we've heard this in so many cases where somebody is using substance abuse and they have to confess their crime to somebody. Well, and it's one of those situations where I believe that if Tony had knowledge of what happened to Ashley, that there are other people in those social circles that probably know or may have even heard the same information that Tony heard. And as the captain pointed out, and as I followed up with, there is information out there that Jay Carney gave Ashley a ride to the Sanborns home that night that she was murdered or that he was there at the Sanborns home house that night Mm -hmm. some articles say that it was edwin hernandez who dropped her off it's difficult to say at this point in time but what we do know is that both ashley's murder and tony's disappearance are open and active cases with the main state police it will be 25 years now since ashley was killed and placed in that road and her family is still searching for answers and i hope and pray that ashley's family gets those answers that they deserve i hope and pray that tony's family get the answers that they deserve and find out his whereabouts if you have any information about ashley's murder please contact the main state police major crimes unit at 207 624 Seven zero seven six. Want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage each and every week. So many exciting things. First off, all of our old, the old off the record episodes. We are releasing them weekly, sometimes twice a week on YouTube. So make sure you go over and subscribe to YouTube for free. And also go to truecrimegarage.com, sign up on the mailing list, but also check out the store page. We have new vintage baseball tees and t-shirt hoodies. You're going to love them. Plus we have two different new TCG designs. For trucker hats. I think you're going to love them. I love them. They make you look like you lost about 60 pounds when you put them on. No lie. 
No lie. Check those out at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let up. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.